Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Pastor Bobby. For those of you that are new, uh, I'm the Worship and Creative Arts Pastor here. Um, and this week, I get the opportunity to bring us our teaching. You actually find us here at a very unique time in the literal history of Calvary, um, where last week, we, uh, we just said goodbye to Pastor Bill, who was our interim pastor. Uh, he was with us for about eight months or so. Pastor Paul was our former lead pastor. That would have been September, and then Pastor Bill joined us in November. So for about eight months, and then he just left. I think he was in the office on Wednesday, and that was his last week with us. And then on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, we're going to have Pastor Michelle, who is our new lead pastor, and her first day in the office is going to be Tuesday. And so we have this unique period of time between Wednesday and Tuesday where we are leaderless. <laughs> and so just uh, pure chaos has ensued around the office. Uh, no, and so I get the opportunity to bring us teaching, but what a, what a unique Sunday for those of you who are maybe new with us. That's where you find us today. Over the past couple of months, Pastor Bill has been in a series called Transitions, and he's just been preparing us as individuals, but really as a community, to, to go into this big transition in the life of Calvary here. And so he's not with us every single week, and so in between those weeks when he's not around, we've had another kind of side series going on where we've just been kind of showing and, and highlighting different ministries here at Calvary. So about a month ago, Pastor Kathleen came, our church life pastor, and she was explaining kind of the discipleship process that we have here at Calvary, the next steps, how people can, can come through. She had a, a whole bunch of people who, who did really well at making next steps here on the stage, and we were seeing kind of how it all works here. Pastor John Mark came a couple of weeks Weeks ago, and he highlighted just the next generation here at Calvary, our kids, our junior highs, our high school students, our young adults, and the role that we play, whether we like it or not, the role that we play in their life. And so this will be the kind of end of that series as well. And I'm just going to highlight Sunday services here at Calvary. That's kind of the role that I play here, a part-time role overseeing just kind of what happens here on a Sunday morning. And so we're going to talk about the ins and outs of it. And my goal is kind of twofold this morning. I'm going to bring kind of explanation to all of the things that we are literally doing in this moment. I'll kind of go over the stuff that we already went through. And then by the time we get to the part of the service where there's teaching, I'll do some teaching. But I'm going to explain it as we go. My goal is that it will hopefully just illuminate to you all the things that we do in our regular every Sunday services that maybe we don't think about. Some of the order and the organization and the structure and why it's there. Um, and then I'm going to try and, and weave that theme in through the teaching as well. So it's going to be a little practical, but there'll be, I think there's going to be a real practical teaching, but also um, something that's hopefully going to illuminate you for services to come. Um, and so the, there's a, a single theme that I'm just going to kind of bring us through this morning, and it's creativity is birthed out of order. Some of us think that maybe order actually confines and restricts and doesn't allow creativity to be able to flow, but really creativity comes out of order. It's birthed out of order. For example, if I have, I have three boys, if I ask them, maybe this is actually like a real thing that happens often, I'd say, hey boys, you wanna just draw me a picture? No rules, no nothing, hey, draw me a picture. I think two things usually happen. One, they just look at me blankly because they have no clue where to start or what to do. What do I even do? That's one option, I can picture it on Willem's face right now. He needs a lot of guidance in his creativity. And then the other thing that can happen is, okay, 
just draw a picture, what we do, we would go and we would just kind of draw one of those token pictures that we always know how to do well. Is there like a specific doodle in your life? I know when I was in high school, it's like, ah, oh, there's this one specific thing that I know how to do, and if I'm given no boundaries at all, for some reason I go back to this just one thing that I'm gonna do, that like Superman S that you learned in, in junior high at one point or whatever it might have been. But I feel like those two things happen. We can see it in our work world or maybe in, in, in school if you're in a group project or in the work world, if you're overseeing a team, and all of a sudden you were to run a an event, let's say, and they said, okay, just build me an event, and there's no, no boundaries, no nothing. I think two things would happen. Either you would have no clue where to start or what to do, or you would say, okay, I know something that's worked before. I'm going to go there, and if you're on a team, then there would just be pure chaos without any order. What you're going to ask is, what's the purpose of the event? How much money do we have to spend? Who's the target audience? Who is it for? When you have a little bit of order and structure, all of a sudden creativity can come flying through. So on one side, you actually need a little bit of order. You can bring too much order. If I were to go back to my kids and say, here's a paint by number, I want you guys to paint it or color it. These exact colors have to go on these exact numbers. When they give it back to me, it's going to look very, very similar, right? There's actually not gonna be a lot of creativity. Too much order can actually constrain it. But if you give it none, then creativity can't come flying through either. And I think it's very similar when we're talking about church services, when we're talking about what we're doing here this morning. On one side of the spectrum, you can have so much order and so much structure that just the same thing kind of happens every single week. But people think that if we go on the other side, oh, the, the most spirit-led services have no agenda. There's no nothing behind it all. That's how things are really going to come about. But really, when there is no structure and no order, what happens is either nothing or what happens is we just end up doing the same things over and over and over again. And there's actually not that creativity and that life flowing in and through. But in services, if you have an order, if you have intentions, if there's things that are put in place with room, then creativity can be birthed. And so I think we have both, and I think we should have both. A structure and an organization to our services so that the spirit can flow, so that creativity can be used, so that our minds and our gifts can be utilized so that people are energized by the community and have genuine encounters with God. You could have a moment like, let's say, of prayer, where there's a little bit of structure to that prayer. Here's three things, let's follow these three things. And then just let the spirit work in those moments. Creativity is birthed out of order. And so I'll do a kind of a small teaching here. So there's like actually fourfold thing that actually happens in services. For any of you that grew up in even a different tradition, uh, maybe it's a little bit more liturgical and a little bit more organized, there's really four things that happen in all services, and we even have them here. Even though people think maybe Pentecostals have no liturgy or no order, we definitely do because it, you always will find rhythms of doing things. And there's four orders that kind of come from Robert Weber, and these are the four things. Gathering, table, word, and sending. And so I'm going to go through those four things. We've already done two of them, and then we'll get into the word. And so I'll do, do a, a quick explanation. So we start off the services with gathering. Every service, wherever you go, the point is to gather. You come in as an individual, but then the goal is that you are here now as a community. So you may come in with your own things, with your own relationship with God, but when you step in here at a service, the goal is actually that you are not here alone. We had it often, actually, when we were in school. There was always this battle of we would have worship together, and what would happen is that everyone would scatter to the corners. I'm not sure if you've ever been to like a service like that where you're about to sing a song, and everyone stands, and then they all scatter to the corners, and they're all worshiping alone. It's like, well, that's not why. Well, you can do that on your own. Many of you have times of 
worship on your own, but when we're here on Sunday mornings, the purpose is that you're actually going to be next to somebody. You're singing with somebody. The purpose is you're coming in as an individual, but you are now a community. We're actually kind of leaning into this a little bit, even with our worship words, the songs that we sing. We're going to start kind of making sure that the words that we sing are a little less I and a little bit more we. We did it with a song we introduced a couple weeks ago where we're talking about, no, we are calling on the God. Because when we're singing this morning, we're singing as a we. And I can sing this song at home and I can sing it as an I, but we're coming in as a community. And so we have a call to worship. Let's come in. Pastor Kathleen did it for us this morning. Just a gathering. Come on in as your individuals. We are now here together. And that's why worship is a big part. Singing songs of worship is such a big part of church services because it's something that we can all do together. We can all give our voices in our hands, in our bodies, in worship together. And so we have songs of praise. And then we have church life announcements. It may seem very simple, but it's a spiritual thing. What is going on in the community? What do you need to know about what's happening in our kids and our youth and in church life? Because we are here now as a community. So we always start off services with a gathering aspect. After gathering, we lead into the table. And so this morning, we actually had communion together. It actually just worked out perfectly. Everything is kind of lining in a little bit perfectly. Now, communion may look a little bit different in in different aspects of, of maybe what you grew up in or if you're new to church. It could be called communion or the Lord's Supper or maybe the Eucharist. But there is always a table aspect at a service. And the real point of that is to focus. So we've come in as an individual, now here as a group, and now we're gathering the attention of the community on the death on the resurrection, on the ascension, and of the return of Jesus. So you come in as an individual. You're now here as a community, and our eyes are focused on Christ. And so some places may do this every week. We here at Calvary will do it once a month at the beginning of every single month. And some places will do it just a little bit more sporadically. But there is an order, and there is a structure to it. I think it's always just important to know that when we're doing that, we're doing those two things. We're remembering the death, because not often do we talk about the death other than Good Friday, But it is important to sit in the death and to remember that part of the story with the full understanding that following the death, there was was a resurrection, there was an ascension, and there was a return. And so as we sit in the death, we're also filled with hope. And so the table should be a place full of hope. And as we gather around the table, then you have moments of prayer, intercessory prayer, which we did kind of intentionally this morning too. Maybe we make a little bit more uh, as a part of our services so that as we come here, we're actually praying not just to God for ourselves, which we may do often, but we actually can stand with someone else and pray for them, build community around the table. And then a congregational prayer. After the table is finished, there's just a thanksgiving for that table. And so we've done all of those things this morning. There was an order and a structure to what we were doing and the gathering and the table. And then after the table, we always lead into the word. And that's where we'll head into for the next little bit of time. The word is a key part of the service because it aligns our lives to Jesus through the teaching of scripture and allows your life to be changed by it. And so we're going to go through each of these things. When we have a time of teaching, we're going to read scripture out loud And then there's going to be a prayer of illumination, and then there's going to be some teaching, and then we get to respond to it. And so we'll head into our time of teaching now with a public reading of Scripture. 
Now, this is a key part, actually, of just Christian tradition in general. You look all the way back into the Old Testament, and this would be really any time if you're looking back thousands of years ago, where the public reading of Scripture is very important because not everyone has their own personal Bible on their phone to read in their own kids' version, young adult version, adult version, you know what I mean? And so many of their traditions, many of their religious rites and ceremonies were all passed on through oral tradition. And so you would see in the Old Testament, oftentimes where Israel was kind of going into this new season and what they would do is they would actually read the whole thing out loud again. Who are we? Where did we come from? It's very important. And they would actually align themselves through the public reading of scripture. If you move a couple thousand years ahead of time to, to the New Testament, Jesus would often be quoting scripture out loud, reminding people, yet again, not everybody had the ability to read or to have their own scripture, and so you would say it out loud often. And so when we talk about public reading of scripture now, it's a little bit different because we do have access and we do have um, the education to be able to read and look uh, on our own. But there is just something different about hearing the word still. For those of you, I feel like I'm like this as well. I really do enjoy hearing something as I read it. And there's something different about reading scripture on your own and then reading scripture as a community as well. And so this morning, this is a large community gathering. But what we had this uh, uh, in, the, in the last meetup where we were going through the book of Mark, and we would read it out loud together, the whole chapter, or two chapters, or sometimes three chapters. We're reading it out loud, and then we're actually giving some of our thoughts and our opinions of what our life circumstance or some teaching that we've heard, and we were actually reading it together, and it was so illuminating because you're getting different perspectives around it. Now, this morning, it's, it's not necessarily as much of a two-way conversation, but the public reading of Scripture is very important. So we're going to read a whole chapter together. We're going to go into Galatians 5. And so some of you may have a Bible with you, and you might want to highlight along the way or underline. I'm not sure what you're like, or if you have a physical, a physical Bible with you. If not, the words will be on the screen. And I'm going to read this for you. Um, and so you can follow along with your eyes. Maybe some of you are, are better actually just closing your eyes and just listening to the words or interacting with it. But I'm going to read through all of Galatians 5, and then we'll kind of continue on with our teaching this morning. Let me just, uh, let me just drink this for a second to get my reading voice for you. If you're going to listen to me, read. <clears throat> All right, Galatians 5. The title is Freedom in Christ. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, well, then Christ is going to be no benefit to you. And I'll say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must then obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, well, then you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What's important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following this truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some people say I am, well then why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. 
I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you would mutilate themselves. Wow. He's very angry at these false teachers. <laughs> Verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are pretty clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you this again, I, uh, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. That's all of Galatians 5. Look at us go. We read a whole chapter of the Bible together as a community, good to go. Now what we would do after the public reading of scripture is often you would see the teacher or whoever's leading that week just finish with a prayer. And so let's just kind of a prayer of illumination now that we've read some scripture. And so God, we come before you today as a community, as listening to the scripture, as listening to Paul's words, speaking uh, to the Galatians specifically, but Holy Spirit, would you illuminate to each of us as individuals, but also as a church, what it is that you want to speak to us. We believe, God, creator of the world, that you also want to interact with us individually today. And so we love you and we thank you, and I pray, amen. And so I'm just gonna continue this, because I think it's good if we all do it. So I'm gonna do a couple of things. Would you stand, just for a second, I want to read a couple of these verses that kind of pointed out to me. We'll just kind of stand up, stretch our, our backs and our arms a little. We're going to use our voices. We'll see how good we can do this unprompted. Um, but as I was just reading this myself, and maybe you had it too, as I'm reading it, certain things kind of just pop out, certain sentences, whenever you feel that maybe inside you're like, oh yeah, that was a good one. And so here's just a couple. Let's just say them out loud together. And so we have uh, verse one. Let's try read this together, Okay. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So that's Galatians, verse one. Shauna, do you wanna put up the next one there? Verse five. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Oh, that's so good. What's the next one? Verse six, the second half. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Absolutely. Verse 13, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. 
Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Oh, so good. And then verse 22 to 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Oh, that's good. Amen. You guys can be seated. Over the past couple of weeks, I was just kind of doing just that, reading through Galatians chapter 5, listening to some teaching, reading some, some things, and, and there was a singular theme that kind of just was pulled out for me that I feel like is meant for you. But sometimes as we read scripture, that's a beautiful thing, as you do it as a community, there might be some, some of your own things that are just popping up as the Spirit is speaking to you as well. And so we're gonna talk about gardens specifically because we're going to sit in that, chat, in that verse 22, 23 with the fruit of the Spirit. And for some reason, Paul uses just this idea of fruit in a garden and growth to explain what the Holy Spirit is like. And so we're going to talk about gardens a little bit. And I know that there are a lot of gardeners here at Calvary specific. You'll probably drive past our community garden that's over there. How many people here would even just say and be confident enough to say, like, I am a gardener, I really enjoy it? Is there a few of you, some of you? Like a good chunk of people. So Kath and I are like slowly moving our way into that world, maybe. We're trying. I, I, I'm, I'm creating three categories of gardens here. So I think the first category of garden is what I'm going to call the lawn garden. Um, and so it's, it's what, we, what I definitely would start off, I might even be there still a little bit. I remember when, when uh, I, we moved into, it would have been our third apartment, but it was an actual house, so we had a little bit of a backyard. And, and in this backyard, we had a fence going all the way to the back, and there was a huge garden lining the whole thing, just fresh, ready to go. And the first thing that I did was I cut it in literal three quarters of it off. I left one quarter for the person in the basement, and I sodded right over it. I put grass right over it because I had kids, and I just wanted to play in the backyard. I want to play catch and soccer. And I just had this big mound of dirt that the kids were always getting into. So I literally sodded over top, and I think I broke my mother's heart. I think that's literally what happened. She came, and she saw that when we first got it. She was so happy for us. And then she came like another week to watch the kids, and it was just covered in sod. Just sodded over the whole thing. I think it broke her heart, but that's kind of where it was super easy. Uh, this is my lawn garden. Now there's a, there's a whole lawn world that I'm also realizing that it, you can enter into, but that's the first one, is, is the lawn garden. Uh, the second is this category, you have a garden. That's probably what I would call that second one. You have a garden. This is maybe the category Kath and I are in here right now. So you have, you have gardens. Your goal maybe is, what kind of plants can I plant that full sun is okay? Um, or what can I do that's going to really live a long time? What are those plants that just come up every single year so that I don't have to really worry about it too much more? Oh, I see a lot of weeds. We're just going to like triple the mulch. Like you have a garden, but your garden is very bushy. Or your garden is not popping with color. There's probably not a lot of fruit or vegetables in the garden. You have a garden. So we're kind of, we're inching our way maybe through that. We have, we have a garden. And then I think the third category is that you have a thriving garden. We have people in our life that are like this. We were just at our, our friend's house this weekend, um, and there will probably be a lot of people that are in the community garden over there. They choose exactly what to grow and where it should go, and it has a location, and they know how much sun it should get, or they know how much shade there is. They, they are picking certain things, and they're putting a lot of work into it. If there's weeds, they're definitely pulling those weeds. They're adding nutrients to the soil to create a really good environment. What happens is, is once you have those things, usually there's little critters. We had this like wonderful flower 
flower that we planted this year, and we put in so much energy. We added some soil. We added some nutrients. We made it look real good. Watered it all after the transplant, and then we wake up in the morning, and that dang bunny, oh, that dang bunny just literally just chewed off all the pretty petals. We had a little bulb in our backyard that we were super excited about. One night, it's already dug up and gone. Like, and so if you have a thriving garden, part of it is protection. Part of it is understanding what can come. So you're raising your garden beds, or you're putting little fences around a thriving garden takes a lot of work and a lot of time. Now, when it comes to a garden, one of the main things, no matter what the garden is, is just this understanding. You are not the one that actually does the growing. You're not the one that does the growing. Your job is to create the best environment that you possibly can with all of your hard work and time and energy and thought and process to create an incredible environment so that the plants can grow. Why? Because fruit is fragile. Fruit is very fragile. The most important thing is not necessarily how hard you are working, but that, because you could put in, let's say, a 10-hour day on that Monday morning, put all of your energy into your garden. If you come back there next Monday and try to put in another 10 hours, well, they might have got scorched. Those bunnies just had lunch every single day. What's actually better than that is putting in a little bit of time every single day, always being aware of what's the weather like, what's eating it, where are the weeds, what does it need, should I water it? And so you're always putting a little bit of time because fruit is fragile. Also, fruit reproduces itself. The beauty of fruit is that when it's thriving, it actually just produces more fruit. Fruit is attractive to those that are around it. When fruit is around, we have young kids. Literally this weekend, we were at our, our friend's house and there were six kids under eight. You just put a tray of fruit out. They're all gathering around. Fr fruit in your garden, the, the animals, the insects, it is attractive. And it's also nourishing to those that actually eat it. When you finally get a chance to eat it, it actually nourishes you and the animals that eat it. It's good for you. And so Paul is using this specific picture of fruit to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I think it's intentional because of that idea. We need to remember this. We are not the ones who are producing the Spirit in our lives. We're not the ones doing that. But what we can do is our job is to create the healthiest environment that we possibly can so that the Spirit can actually work in our lives. We look at our services. We're going to put in a lot of energy and effort and time to create the healthiest place possible so that the Spirit can actually do the work. We don't take credit when things happen. But what we do is we spend a lot of time using the gifts, using the talents, being intentional so that creativity can flow through, so that the Spirit can actually just just thrive. We're thinking about what to protect our community from. We're thinking about all of those different types of things. I actually feel like, as I was kind of doing this message, I actually feel like I'm probably in like part four of five of a whole series because the Holy Spirit is something that I think can be confusing to some, even to myself at times too. And so here's just a quick overview of what that series would look like. Maybe we'll do it at some point. And where we find ourselves in here. Because I feel like jumping right into the fruit of the Spirit is a little bit confusing. So I think the first thing, if I'm going to order and organize the Holy Spirit, is that before somebody even becomes a Christian, 
Right from day one, even in the midst of creation, the Holy Spirit is always drawing people towards God. That's like step one. The Holy Spirit is always at work drawing people towards God. And then what happens, week two would, would talk about if somebody becomes a Christian, actually says, I'm going to follow Jesus. What happens is that you immediately have the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. Your body becomes the new temple. There's a whole kind of storyline there, but we actually become these temples and the Holy Spirit that was drawing us to him now fills us and now we are these little walking and moving temples that are full of the Spirit. That happens right off the bat when you follow Jesus. Then there's a third thing that can happen. If you're joining with us, and maybe you're new, we are Pentecostal here, and so there is a third experience. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where this thing happens where all of a sudden you are empowered to go and talk to others about who Jesus is. It's not just a one-time event. It's a one-time event that you want to just continue to fill yourself with over and over. And then we hit part four. This is kind of where we're jumping in. That's why I wanted to go, where we have the fruit of the Spirit. So we're not talking about that experience that you had when you became a Christian, or we're not talking about that constant filling that you need. We're talking about what's your relationship with the Holy Spirit like today, tomorrow, the next day. It's a relationship. Like any relationship, if you're only to spend once a week on a Sunday morning with somebody, you would not get to know them super well. You would not align yourselves with them super well. And so we're here talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Then the last week would probably be like the gifts of the Spirit. There may be even be a sixth part, but we find ourselves in the random part just to, to wrap our brains around where we are because we're just talking about the fruit of the Spirit this morning. But we're talking about creating a healthy environment in our church and in our lives so that fruit can be produced. But we actually do have a lot of control and order of what we can do so that the Spirit can move in and through us. Because why? We'll go through this exact same list. Because the fruit of the Spirit is fragile. It is more productive to abide daily with the Holy Spirit than to just spend time on that relationship once a week. If your only times connecting with God or speaking to God or asking the Spirit to fill you is just once a week, well then you're gonna come back and, and things may have been eaten, things may have deteriorated. There may have been a season of that week where the sun was hot on your life and you actually needed to abide with the Holy Spirit a little bit more, but you're off trying to do it on your own. It is better for you to spend a little time every day as a part of your life for the fruit of the Spirit to be able to flow in and through you. The fruit of the Spirit reproduces itself. When you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and good goodness in you, working through you, you just want to do it even more. It reproduces itself. Experiencing the Spirit of God transforming you literally transforms you. When you feel like God has just used you or you feel like one of those moments where you normally would have done something, but, but the more that you have been actually interacting with the Holy Spirit and you're like, wow, that was a moment that was bigger than myself. It actually transforms you even more because you can see God doing something in your life. It's the same as whenever we talk talk about working out is once you start seeing things, you're just rejuvenated to even do it more. The fruit of the Spirit is also attractive to those that are around it. The closer that you draw to Jesus, the more attractive your life becomes. That's what Paul is saying here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things. If you're around those types of people, you're actually drawn to them. Many of us think the deeper that I get into this religious thing, the deeper I get into this following Jesus thing, the more odd I might get, or the more odd people might think I am, but the quite the opposite actually happens. You might become a little bit more strict in some things in your life, or a little bit more defined in things in your life, but because of the fruit of the Spirit, 
people are actually attracted to it and we're afraid of that. We're afraid of diving deep into this relationship because of the effect that it might have on our relationships with others. But fruit is attractive to those. Jesus was very direct with people and yet people would flock to him because of who he was. And fruit actually nourishes those who eat it. You become a fuller version of yourself as the fruit of the Spirit manifests in your life. You don't become less of who you are, you actually become more of who you were created to be as that works in and through you. And so just like a garden, hard work, structure, time, energy, all helps the growth of that garden. Structure, purpose, time, and energy can actually create an environment here in our services so that the Spirit can flow in your own lives what you need to do is actually create some structure and some order so that you can create an environment in your life so that the fruit of the Spirit can actually be there. So for some of you, self-control in your own specific life is going to be really hard. There's so many scriptures that say, well, just stop, get rid, don't allow yourself to even go into those pieces of your life where that's going to be difficult. You're protecting, you're putting up fences from those places that you know will come in because even if it's hard, you're going to toss your, your smartphone away and instead you're literally going back to a flip phone because it's going to help your life and self-control be better. Fruit is going to thrive because you're creating an environment for it to be able to thrive. Or maybe there's other things in your life that you're actually going to start doing just daily, praying, Maybe this is what the weeding is, praying, reading scripture, listening, meditating, just adding these things in daily because you're creating an environment for the spirit and for the fruit of the spirit to just thrive in your life. And so at the end of a teaching, there's just a response time of the teaching. What do we do with that, what was just kind of said? And so maybe you need to do kind of a couple of things. Do you need to recognize that the spirit has been drawing you to him? like the part one of the series that we never did? Or do you need to accept the gift of salvation and actually become a temple of the Holy Spirit like the second part of the series that we didn't do? Do you need to spend some time actually seeking the baptism of the Spirit to be empowered to be able to speak to those in part three of the series that we didn't do? <laughs> or do you need to actually just spend time creating an environment in your life Every single day, abiding with God more and more each day, a little bit of time, more and more each day, so that you can create this space so that the fruit of the Spirit can be evident. Maybe that's some of you this morning. Band, if you actually do want to come up. And so this kind of brings us to the last part of services. Mm, I like that quote I put up there. The only way to allow the Spirit to change you is by creating an environment where growth can happen. And so I was just kind of seeing that theme in the midst of gardening, in the scripture, in the midst of our service. We put a lot of order and organization so that the spirit can flow in and through our services and in our own lives as well. And so we come to the last part of the service. So we had gathering. We come in as an individual. We gather around the table with our eyes pointed to Christ. And then we head into a time of teaching where the word is there. And then we have a time of response and sending. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do a twofold thing here. At the end of services, for those that maybe grew up in a liturgical kind of church a little bit more, there would always be a benediction or a blessing at the end of the service. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use a little bit of our creativity because we planned ahead of time. And we're going to sing a song together that is also the blessing. Um, and so number six is a blessing that maybe you've often heard before. And it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face towards you and give you peace. And so would you stand with me this morning? We're just going to sing through, and this is going to be two. One, I want you to respond to the word that was just spoken today. Is there something that you feel like just popped out to you? 
And we'll just take, we're gonna take five minutes to sing this song, and it's both a blessing and a time of response. And then I'll come up after, and I'll do a benediction to kind of close it off for each of us. But let's, again, it might be a new song for some of you, and so maybe just time of meditation, reflection, prayer, or you can use your voices and we can sing together. And so we'll finish kind of with a benediction and ascending because we don't want to just leave it here. So we came in as an individual, as a community, around the table, pointing our eyes to Christ, hearing a word of encouragement, speaking scripture out loud, and then having a time of response so that we may go. We're here to be equipped to go and do it out there as well. And so may we be reminded of the gift of the Spirit. And may we be reminded of our role in creating that environment in our own lives where the Spirit can thrive. And so may you go encouraged by the word, filled with the spirit, so that others may be attracted to the fruit that is in your life and their eyes would be pointed to Jesus. And we say this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we all said together, amen. Amen.